Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It is the Anfield Wrap. I am Neil Atkinson. I've got Beth Lindup. I have Phil Blundell and Andy McCann to look back over the weekend, specifically around Liverpool, but other matters arising as well and look ahead uh, and gauge where we're up to. Uh, I want to be clear. Uh, this episode of the Anfield Wrap podcast is sponsored by Green King Sport, uh, where football is more than a game. Uh, the venues are showing every single televised Liverpool fixture over the course of the season 900 900 900 sports club uh, pubs across the UK it doesn't matter where you're based you can get every single minute of the action and if you download the app you don't just get 10% off all drinks anytime there's a match on this month but there's also thousands of pints of free Guinness to be won now I hope that they're like individual pints because I went to Dublin two weekends ago and I had a thousand pints of Guinness and it's not a move I necessarily recommend so hopefully Green King there there is a pint here and a pint there for you to win and you don't have to have my Tuesday uh, which was full of existential dread. Uh, there is the chance to win one of six holidays as well. And, as was discussed in January, and it is worth pointing out in the wider context of everything I've just said, do drink responsibly. And Green King does also uh, have lots and lots of non-alcoholic offers. Also, what about the Anfield Rap on tour, right? Have you heard of us? Uh, if you go to theanfieldrap.com forward slash T-A-W live, uh, you can find the shows that we're doing in the United States in March on Wednesday the 22nd, 20th, sorry, Wednesday the 20th, we are in New York City, the 21st, Boston, the 22nd, Toronto, uh, the 23rd is Detroit, the 24th is Wilmington, never been to Wilmington before, I'm very excited about it, do you know what's on afterwards, Phil? Go on. Live band karaoke in the same gaff. Oh wow. Oh wow. I think I might have been to Wilmington. What, what for? I can't remember, when I was about 14, on a holiday with my dad, I think I might have been. Well, how did the Wilmington move come up? I don't up? know. I don't know. I think it was just been somewhere. If it's where I think it is, it must be somewhere where we were just driving ne- to next, it was a ne- handy place or something. Next time you speak to your parents, which yeah. presumably in about six to eight weeks. Do you want, do you want, do you want, do you want to hear it? Check in with them. Okay. And see, see what they've got yeah. to say for themselves. But anyway, I know what we're doing afterwards. Uh, I know what we're doing Sounds... afterwards. <laughs> that is absolutely locked down. I definitely didn't do that, just to confirm. Oh, okay, go. It wasn't a thing then. Senior hadn't created it. 25th, <laughs> uh, Washington, D.C. Uh, but don't even bother trying to buy tickets for Washington because you, like like you can't get in. Like the old 5 1. You can't get in. We're going to advertise it, but don't bother because you don't, can't come. Don't even bother coming. Uh, the old 051 adverts on Radio City. Uh, don't even bother. Uh, the 051 Saturday night. Don't even bother coming. You can't get in. Why is it? Why you're advertising it then? You better Did definitely be under the age of over the age, age of thirty and, and, from and a, local to get that. Yeah, not the people who might go to any of these tour gigs. Uh, but that, but it's a very true advert. It was what the advert was like. It was fantastic marketing, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. Here we are. We've got this thing on but don't bother don't bother don't come uh, last week they were queuing we were turning people away uh, <laughs> genuinely is what the advert used to say it's not a joke uh, do you remember it Andy yeah, you're the right age Beth's yeah, very yeah. much not definitely uh, no. I think I was probably in the queue getting the KB to be fair in the queue yeah. I was definitely getting knocked back yeah indeed uh, it's lovely to have Andy, Beth and Phil we're all a little bit giddy I've actually written the score down incorrectly uh, on number two of the agenda it's Liverpool 3 Burnley 1 and Beth they were disjointed Liverpool first half especially and to me that's why the performance ironically because the performance I think is as stuttery as it is it's why I'm impressed as I was uh, when we get into the second half because they do work it out and I think it's in the working out you get to see that this is a clever group of players who, who will who take a fair bit of beating 
Yeah, I think, think it was another performance where Liverpool were far from the best and still got the job done and in the end got the job done fairly comfortably, which, as you say, is, is a testament to, to the character, I suppose, in this group. Um, I mean, when you think about it, they were probably without four or five starting players. I mean, obviously, they, they had that blow with Alison Becker being out with the flu before before the game and then Joe Gomez unavailable as well through illness, Connor Bradley. And so you're looking at that back line and you're thinking even with, with Trent Alexander-Arnold and Andy Robertson in it, you know, they're... You, they probably wouldn't be starting if you had everyone fit and available. And they weren't even in rhythm, Beth. I no. think that's a big, and, and Trent, I think, it was carrying a knock from minute one, and I think it gets worse. But they weren't in rhythm, those two. So you can say they are the starters, but they were not. They've not. Pl- I mean, Robertson's not not started a game for fourteen weeks by this point, and they looked like that. I thought. Yeah, definitely. They, they, they did look ropey in that first half, and I think credit to Burnley as well because I think we'll get onto this a bit later. But I was I was quite impressed with them. They can play football, can't they? They're not the, the Burnley of. A few years back, who would just sort of sit and park the bus and, and try and lump it forward. They 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 played some really good football. So, um, I think it was a it was a, a game that Liverpool needed to win, and it, it, I think it is credit to them that they, they managed to to recover from that slightly disjointed first half display and and get the job done. It's it's one film when you do break it down. You know, as Beth's done there, you really drill into Kelleher. Obviously, not the first choice goalkeeper. Quonset hasn't got thirty appearances yet for Liverpool. Trent Alexander Arnold, obviously excellent, but looked I think just looked a bit injured from minute one I don't think there's there's you know that much debate around that and I do think it worsens as the game wears on there was no one else to play right back from the manager's point of view at least from a starting berth you will come on to talk about Curtis in a minute or two Andy Robertson as I said before 14 weeks McAllister playing a position he's not actually played that often for Liverpool played it a little bit in pre-season and Enzo just back from the Asia games not out of rhythm in terms of playing football but in terms of what, what Liverpool are asking of him and I think Endo's been a funny player all season when I feel as though every single game he's played well in he's grown into rather than sort of started it wasn't a surprise to me and also the manager was all but saying that in his press conference I thought before the match was don't expect these to be absolutely pounded into this this weekend we need the support of the crowds we need to feel as though there's warmth around the place and and that is that is what we get to see it's a game in slabs and Liverpool or almost like stairs Liverpool are just climbing the stairs of the game yeah I mean there's one thing that I heard a rumour that they didn't actually train on Friday and the training ground was was shut oh really so one of the reasons it looks disjointed is they didn't actually have any time to get on the pitch and um, and find any sort of cohesion, and that's what I thought. The first twenty-five minutes looked up until the goal really looked looked a lot like that because it was, and the opposition didn't help that in some ways because quite often you would play a nineteenth-place team with a cobbled together side, and they'd turn up and they just sit back, and you sort of had you'd have a lot of the ball, you'd have the opportunity to feel yourself into the game, work out where everyone is, what everyone's up to, what's going on. But what actually happened is Burnley came out quite on the front foot. Yeah, they came out with a with an attitude of well we'll have a go here because I think they've probably almost accepted they're going to go down they haven't really got it in them to sit you know 10 men behind the ball and hit a big man because they haven't got a big man yeah they haven't, like Fafana who was playing up front was did he come on or did he start no, he started he started start. he, he's quick he's, he's good but he's not a sort of he's not going to rustle Virgil van Dijk up for, for 90 minutes and that meant that they had to play in the way that they did now if they'd have sat behind the ball we could have just you know, knocked it round and had to go, but we didn't have that opportunity. And we didn't have the opportunity to find the familiarity, and it took us a while to get going. And it just, it just looked like a team that has never played together before, and will almost certainly never play together again. And then, second half, it gets even more, it gets even more mad. You've got McAllister, for example, who's used to passing to midfielders, and now he's passing to forwards. Yep. You've got Endo, who, I mean, if he'd been taken off after twenty minutes, I don't think there'd have been too many complaints. He was quite, I thought he was quite poor to start off with with Endo. Yeah. Curtis Jones, who ends up right back, 
it, it was just a, it was a proper mishmash, and it really did look like that. I think we, I think I made a comment on a show last week. There's, there's no excuses for Liverpool here. Well, there was an excuse for the performance that, and that it sort of leads you to work out why there were no excuses for the for Liverpool not winning because they could do that. Yep. and still well, come through quite comfortably in the end. Although there was a few worrying moments. No, I think it is relatively comfortable in the end, Andy. And it's worth saying that the key goal, I think, in terms of why it's comfortable in the end, is the Nunez one. And I want to talk about him a little bit in a bit more detail later on. But for me, in general, I think it's great that the starting three, uh, the starting front three, all score. It's uh, that's a signpost of, of of bygone Liverpool. But it's also a signpost of Mo Salah, Liverpool. I, if you've got Mo Salah. It's sort of not a surprise. All it needs is for the other two to get one, if you know what I mean at times. Certainly the way Salah's been at Anfield this year and also the way he acts as provider. So without Salah, it is pleasing that all of the front three score without him, firstly his goal scorer and knack, but also his creative his creative spark. Yeah, I think it was um there was a big build up on the term going when you know loads of pressure was put on the the fact that he was gonna be gone and how long he was gonna be gone for and what it was going to do to the title challenge and the, the four-trophy hunt. But I think they've just kind of put two fingers up to it, haven't they? Jota's kind of led it from a, an output point of view. But what is interesting with them is, I think you've described Diaz especially as a bit of an island, whereas Marnie Salah and Firmino used to always be like so coherent. I still think they're a little bit like that even when Salah's there. They haven't quite found that gel yet as a, as a front three, whichever three stars. But what they are doing is... the. the like the team is doing and like the clock's developed they're just finding a way I think Nunes is as, as in, I think we're going to come on to him as individual as a forward you'll ever see um, but amongst the other two they're starting to add numbers in which is which is obviously going to help you in, in games where it is a little bit disjointed and slabby the the thing I think that probably must annoy the manager Andy about the whole game will simply be the, the three minutes that lead up to half time um, from first of all how easily they get out down their own left. Uh, Nunez, I think they're going to get a bit of fortune because Nunez does get a touch on it, but it still deflects to their man. Then they get another little bit of a break. Arguably, it's not, it should be getting put out for a corner. It should be getting put out for a, for a throw-in. Um, and then from there, I'm all for, it's a great header, but he is 14 yards out and he is completely unmarked. You know, all the all the hits on it, Andy. I think that'll be where the manager's like, lads, we got 1-0. All the stuff we've talked yeah. about being disjointed. Let's just say they haven't trained on Friday. I just need everyone, you know, the ca- the captain's back there, my senior left-back's back there. I just need all this to be a bit better. And I think that that'll probably be the thing that will most frustrate him about the whole 90. Yeah, I think I think just touching on what Phil said, I've heard similar things about the, the illness has gone through the squad. And I think you touched on Trent earlier. I think he's, he was the he was the one, obviously, he gets brought off early. Don't need that. He was clearly nowhere near fit. And I think, obviously... He started two games there. I don't think he would have started in... If- if circumstances, circumstances were Yeah, I think without Bradley's obviously compassionate leave, he, he would have probably started both of them, wouldn't I mean, he? And I, think, I think he'd even have started Gomez as well. Yeah, yeah. So I think, and I think at that moment, right at the end of the first half, is where if you are having a bit of a struggle, and they've probably in, in their head five minutes before the half time whistle, they've probably gone, he needs to come off, but we'll give him till half time. So that five minutes from an illness point of view and a fatigue point of view is probably where the mental clarity kind of starts to dip. And I think you've seen that because it was just a, a goal out of nothing that would absolutely frustrate the life out of you if you're a manager because you're in complete complete control and then at half time you're looking at 1-1 and everything all them little factors where you're thinking oh we're feeling a bit sorry for ourselves we haven't been able to train we've got five or six starters out you come in at half time and you're kind of feeling a bit sorry for yourself in the grand scheme Beth when they come out second half there's a couple of tactical changes obviously there's the obvious one with Jones and Elliott but more the other thing that happens is they release Robertson and Robertson makes the pitch massive on the left makes it absolutely enormous and from about the first five minutes into the second half without I know Burnley do get in and they elicit a really good save out of Kelleher 
but I was just of the view they were always going to pull away from that point without being too complacent about it. The way the match was sort of building from about the 50-minute mark, I was like, a lot of what's gone wrong to put right here. And I think, again, the, the, the feeling and inevitability about it, I think, is is testament to them. Yeah, I think that's definitely something that Liverpool have got back this season. I think, you know, 18-19 and the season that Liverpool won the league, there was an, 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 an inevitability, rather, <laughs> um, about, uh, about Liverpool. You know, you, they could feel it, the opposition could feel it, the fans could feel it. They were always going to win. They were always going to grind out a result, and I think Liverpool lost that last season and have very much got that back. and And that was in sort of full effect on, on Saturday. And, and like you said, I don't think the result was ever really in doubt. I think Andy Robertson played played well second half. Really well, I thought. Yeah, even he was unlucky, wasn't he? The ball fell to him in, in the box, and just the, the the ball bobbled in front of him, and almost could have had a had a goal on it as first start in, in fourteen weeks. But um, but yeah, I think it was really impressive the way that they recovered, and especially with with Curtis Jones, who's obviously only played it right back in, in that Leicester Cup game, yeah. it, was it? And you know, wasn't maybe the, the best performance that day in terms of he, the, the goal comes from, from his side, the Leicester goal. Um, but he, you know, he did well, and Harvey Elliott, as I'm sure we'll, we'll speak about later, was, was excellent. Uh, next phase of, again, to go back to that sort of those, those front players, I take Andy's point before that at times they, you know, they've seemed in different ways to be almost a little bit individualistic. Um, but I actually think the other thing that you get to see second half is, I think because Robertson pushes right the way up, Diaz comes a little bit narrower. They're all playing a bit closer together. Uh, and then from there, they're almost, you know, other players are better able to join. McAllister sits a little deeper next to Endo, uh, almost a little bit like Thiago in the in the 21-22 season where on that left, Robertson goes. It all felt a little bit back to to that style of play really not so much this idea of of someone being out on their own it felt to me a lot like Diaz was really involved and he gets another goal at the front post which I think is impressive I think it's something they're clearly working on with him but him feeling like he's part of that three I thought made a real difference yeah it was definitely a much more cohesive performance wasn't it and I think Diaz, it, it's it's so frustrating, isn't it? Because he he can have games where he, he looks fantastic, and obviously he's coming for quite a lot of criticism, probably quite unfair criticism at times. Because from know, people like me, Beth, yeah, yeah. But no, I I completely agree <laughs> because we know how good he can be. We've seen how good he can be, and there's times when you're just sort of willing him to take someone on and, and beat a man in, in the way that he did when he first came to the club and, and he doesn't quite do that but I did think you know as we've said you know a few times in the last few weeks he's looked closer to the player that, that Liverpool signed and I thought there were flashes of that again on Saturday I think he, he, I think he enjoyed the old structure in a way uh, Andy I think there's something that happens second half which is and I've got no doubt to a certain extent it was just to simplify it for Curtis Curtis you just play like a right back Andy alright what you're going to do is you're going to push right the way up there left hand side like you used to I thought that made it more straightforward for Robertson as well so he knows where he's up to he's absolutely you know he's almost on the front line as much as anything else Diaz then comes just a little bit narrower he knows he's got the protection of McAllister behind he's sat a little bit deeper and it's interesting that it's felt to me in the last sort of six weeks or so Liverpool have almost I don't think there's now the way they play in the way in which there has been I think you get to see they've almost got these three or four different cards and he can play a different card for a different period and I don't think he's ever quite had that same he's still got all of his principles but the same level of flexibility and I thought that that made a real difference and I thought it especially got loads out of Diaz for 25-30 for minutes Yeah it's a, it, it, supposedly the accumulation of, of his eight years in it as the yep. first couple of years you, you, he does this to, to fix it then he, he lands on one with the front three which is when we you know we have that golden period then he has to adapt when he hasn't got two centre-halves and he learns to win 1-0 with Naf Phillips and whoever was playing centre-halves you know what I mean so he, he's, he's at the 
keep reinventing, reinventing kind of his philosophy underpinned by his his morals, etc. But now he's he's very much got this. It's, it's almost like a four-two-four, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, where Robinson becomes almost like a, an outside left, and Diaz then can go. Oh, I quite fancy this playing on the inside, <laughs> and he's got more. He's got that protection of the two centre two centre mid sitting, and he just looks like he enjoys that having someone outside of him and having two inside of him. And he's got if he wants to be the not selfish in a negative way, but more selfish player that I think we all admit he is compared to like a Mane. He's got the, the option to still do it, but then if he does want to pass it inside and play and give a go, he's got two two lads inside him. What I thought really helped with Robertson, different to what you've seen from Gomez uh, playing in that position when the game was going the way it was going, Phil, was he'll gladly underlap and overlap Robertson. And I think that you miss how how much he can cut in uh, and cut a side apart with just one underlap and run. And also, they worry about him. He drags people as he goes, and I thought second half. First half, as I say, I think I don't think he plays particularly well. I think he's finding it a little bit difficult. But I think second half was, he was being able to play the role that he's been asked to play uh, over an extended period for Liverpool, and I just think he looked like Andy Robertson. Yeah, his ability to create space and sort of cause a bit of so, confusion. Yes, it's so it, good it, to create space. Because it's very rare that a left-back will go inside the right-back. So it's sort of it's not something that the right-back's used to. It gets them out of the comfort zone. And they're looking at him going, well, where's he going? And then they've got to think about Diaz as well. Like, I think the interesting thing about Diaz generally this season, and it's sort of linked to that, is he scored five goals from inside the goalposts in the league this season, mm-hmm. which for a man who you, you think of as purely wide is is quite impressive. Very and impressive. It, and, it's sort, and part of it, I know it's not been there all the time, but Robertson's inability to stretch it and cause a little bit of confusion. It just creates so much space. And I think that's that, that fluidity in the attack, you've really, you have missed it with Robertson. I think Gomez has been superb. And you know, I saw a couple of people going, oh, you know, we've got a challenge on to get his, his place back in this side. Gomez has been that good. And I'm a bit like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not quite sure. I just think he gives you so much more, so much different stuff. And that's not a criticism of Gomez. It's just he's, a left back is his third best position, is it? Whereas it's Robertson's best. And you saw on Saturday in the second half in particular exactly what he gives to this team. And there's a there's, there's a lot of people doing him down on social media. I've really I've found it really interesting. Is that there's a, there's a lot of people who are Robertson talking about talking about Robertson, talking about Robertson like he's, he's finished. like like he's not, not 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 finished, just not got the talent to like I saw one. It's like oh imagine Jabby Alonso telling Andy Robertson to do this. And I'm like are you watching the same Andy? Are we watching the same Andy Robertson here? If anything else, like, he looks very coachable. <laughs> Like he's, he's brilliant, he's superb. We've missed him. Like I think the lack of him for three months, and I know it's not cost us too many points, but you look at games like United at home, for example. Yeah, yeah. I'd have given, I'd have given all kinds for him to play that game when you just needed someone to make a little bit more space against that United block, a little bit more, and that's the kind of thing he gives you. And it's great to have it back. It is indeed. It's dynamic movement, uh, and it made a real difference through that second half. Moving along. Um, Phil, I want to talk about Jones because for me, there's been this long, um, a lot of people sort of called it sort of relatively early that the manager has been trying to turn Curtis Jones into a different type of footballer um, pretty much since 2018, that there's the footballer who broke through and it's been quite, uh, you know, he was obviously very, very gifted. And now I think what the manager's been trying to do, I think there's almost, it's almost a bit of a high point on on Saturday in that I think Curtis could still get 10 goals this season I think that he'll get a big goal in a big game um, at some point a real sort of a really crucial one and I'm about to say this this is the player I'm comparing him to what he goes and does at right back is really Genie Wijnaldum 
he just goes and is the smartest man on the pitch and solves all those problems and plays at right back almost like he'd play in any other position that you gave him the opportunity to do but he just takes those skills and just puts it into there makes himself really really difficult to play against makes it hard for the opposition anticipates things brilliantly and as I say when I think he's going to score a big goal between now and the end of the season that's a genie Wijnaldum trait as well and I mean this as you know he's almost to me like a genie Wijnaldum 2.0 at this point as well it's not damning him with faint praise far from it it's saying what he's shown uh, under this manager now as I say, I think that Saturday is in loads of ways one of the most impressive aspects of it because he doesn't just get on with the job, he actually excels. It reminded me a bit of that Brighton game in 2017 yeah. where we play a back three and it's Emre Chan and Wijnaldum with a, mm. with a sort of either side of... A Dejan Lovren and Lynchpin. Dejan Lovren being <laughs> The big dog Lovren. in his pomp. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Scored like, five, did we? We did, we won 5 we, we were good one. Yeah. Yeah. 5-1 it was, yeah, we were really good. Coutinho put a free kick under the wall, which I called from behind the goal. Ah, what does they feel? I was very happy with that. Um, yeah, we were just—he's just very good, isn't he? What like what a footballer! Like brains, technical ability, knows exactly when to do what. Like is is the amount of times he got himself out of that right back position when he was penned in by three people, and it wasn't necessarily that he was running through them, but he was just picking a right ball. Like he he wasn't scared to go backwards. He wasn't scared to go sideways, round the side, through, over. Anyway, he got out and it. He was superb. He really was superb. I think this is really important. It wasn't. Just, it was not doing a job. This is a this is a lad who I remember watching in the. You know, one of the good things about being in the Champions League and is when you get to watch the youth game in the afternoon. And it's usually on. It's usually on TV. I remember watching him playing it way at Napoli. I think it was. And he's playing left wing. He's playing left wing. Not like poor defensively, but he wasn't going backwards, and you know wasn't working back like Dirk Cout. Yes, yeah. from from up from on the wing, for example. But he was very good going forward. And now you watched him now. It's like it's like it's like a completely different player. It's it's a real I think it's a real triumph for the manager that he's managed to take that and not not kill that player, but adapt him to the ability where he could play seven or eight positions on that pitch. Probably couldn't play centre back or in goal. The rest of them you'd be alright with him. If we if we had to Shortage up front, and you found out he was going to play up front and knit things together. You go, yeah, that's all right. Yep. And this is a man who played right back, broke through as a left winger, converted to centre mid, has done everything. Like he, I can't believe how switched on he is. Where would eighteen of them finish in the league? Ooh. Seventh. Ooh. Is he a keeper as well? Eighteen Curtis Jones. No, you can have a keeper, <laughs> but you've not got Allison. You've got like uh, you've got David Raya. Okay, so you've got I, David Ryan in goal and eighteen, I and 18 cases shown to seventh. I reckon about seventh, yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I think that's fair. Yeah. Uh, I think no. I think I think it just strikes me as an interesting one because I always remember you know the song that we all dream of the team of Carragher's and I was just God, a bit like you say that but you know he, did, think, he all, did all the Sefton schools goal scoring record always I think he was always better going forward than people gave him credit yeah. for but nonetheless uh, I think you win a lot of games one nil uh, in I, an ideal world I, I've been kind of not waiting to say this for ages I'm not going to kind of pretend I'm like you know the chairman of his fan club or anything I, I really like it but I think he's haven't been in and around academy football you know to to what I've done in my coaching in City, you see loads of kids getting to 16, 17 who have got what he had at 16, 17, which is a raw ability, a skill level that is beyond anything we can dream of playing at, you know, at soccer sixes or whatever we play at. And I think he's been fortunate, but also he needs loads of credit for becoming an example of what you can do is if you're a 10, like he's a, you know, a left winger or a 10 with loads of ability, he's got six galore, but if you've got the mental capacity to go no you know what I'm going to be coachable 
And I think he's obviously landed on having arguably the best manager in the world throughout his development phase. But he's become someone who you've just said it. He goes right back. I reckon you could he could do the same job at left back. Absolutely. And he's that comfortable playing anywhere. It's a credit to him. Obviously, a credit to the manager. And it, the signs of it were in Gerard done an interview. I don't know if it was with John. Yeah, was yeah, it John's it was John, one? Yeah, yeah. Where he spoke. Like I think John asked him about him, but it was, he specifically said. We, we drilled into him, you have to become more coachable, you have to listen to us more, and you have to, you know, your talent isn't just going to get you through the door. And then Milner done an interview through the week, didn't he, where he didn't name him, but it was it was obviously Curtis Jones where he said, you need to start listening a bit more or you could just become a kid who had loads of potential, but then ends up playing in League One or Two, having only made six or seven um, League Cup appearances. But credit to him, credit to the manager, and he, he, he's, you know, he's, Quickly become very integral it, to this there's team. A, there's a level of humility it takes. Yeah, that humility as well, that's the way. Well, he reminds me of McManaman, both in terms of what you've seen going forward when he's mm. first broken through, the body shape, all that sort of stuff. But also, you think about what McManaman ends up being at Real Madrid, where he facilitated a lot yeah, of what everybody yeah. else did, and there was a real humility to that as well. Yeah. He went to Real Madrid, still scores a goal in a Champions League final. Steve McManaman still man of the match in that game, arguably, mm. but does it to facilitate everyone else? And Beth, what then happens with him and Elliot? I think is really interesting because they just dovetailed, and it was almost like they took what they do. Up here and so they just twisted it and did it there if you see what I mean just put it on a 90 degree angle on the right hand side of the pitch and the two of them the number of times Phil's talking there about the ball but he's able to play the ball he plays because he trusts Elliot's touch and Elliot knows Elliot's prepared because he knows this fella can find me and I think that it, that it was the two of them that close together I think it helped Curtis but I think it's part of why Elliot got himself into the game the way he did yeah they, they linked up really well didn't they and I, th- I think you know it's, it's not too too much of, a, of an overstatement to say that, that Harvey Elliott changed the game at the weekend Absolutely. I, I think he was he was my man of the match anyway. I thought he was excellent when he came on. And, and I do feel for him because I think this season has been has been so difficult because there's been so many occasions where he's come off the bench and made a huge impact. And then he's been given an opportunity to start a game, you know, in the League Cup, for example. And he's not quite sort of grasped at that opportunity and really cemented himself as as a player who should be in the starting eleven. And there's loads of caveats to that, you know, mainly because a lot of the games he started have been in the League Cup or the Europa League. He's not had a full complement of, of world-class oh, players around him. Absolutely. Um, but I think he was he was exceptional, and I th- I think Harvey Elliott's maybe suffered a little bit because I think maybe in a, in a similar way to, to Fabio Carvalho in the sense of you if you're a bit of a jack of all trades and you can be versatile and play across you know an array of positions that's great in one sense because you've got more chance of getting in the team but it can also work against you because you look at. Harvey Elliott and you think well he's not going to displace Mo Salah on the right wing is he so then you think who does he replace in midfield and you know when everyone's fit does he replace anyone in midfield I don't necessarily think he does um, but I think a lot of people forget as well he's only 20 years old I think he feels older than that because yeah. he's, he came to the club when he was how old 15, 16 and he was a kid coming from coming in from Fulham um, but he's still you know three years younger than, than Curtis Jones and when you think that Curtis has only really broken into to being a sort of a starting player in the last not even 12 months, what, 10, 10, 9, 10 months. You think that the ceiling for Harvey Elliott is, is really high and I do think the way that they link up is is fantastic to see. And just going back to, to Curtis as well about that humility, I think that shows off the pitch as well because you go back to when he, he scored that, that world in, in the FA Cup and he comes out and does an interview afterwards and he's 17 years old at that point. And he obviously has, he has a stammer, doesn't he? And the courage to come out and speak to the media at that age and and... and 
sort of battle through that, I guess, um, was was amazing to see. And you watch him do interviews now and he's so much more confident. Yeah. And you think that shows, I think that reflects the, the maturity that he's now got on, on the pitch, off the pitch as well. Just on, on Elliot, uh, Beth, the two, the two assists are excellent. The second especially, you know, the, the quality of, I think the first he's, there's a slight element of putting it in the mixer. Uh, the second is he's picking them out. Mm-hmm. The two excellent, excellent assists, they really are. And he's been capable of that in that channel all season. Yeah, definitely. I think he's he's such a threat, isn't he? And um, I always love hearing him talk about his relationship with Mo Salah as well. I think he said the other week, didn't he, that even though Mo's been away at Afcon, he's been messaging him and seeing how he is. And I think you can't you can't underestimate how beneficial that will be for his development to have had Mo Salah to, to learn off and to learn those sort of attacking instincts and and how to sort of how to be a, a provider from from that right hand side with a left foot with a left foot exactly. So I think. Um, you know the, the the way that he's sort of mentored him, I guess, it, it has probably played a huge part in his development as well. They were both very Salah balls in. I thought yeah. Phil, that was one of the things I sort of. And, and listen, you can you can drive yourself a bit mad with that because they were also just quality balls in with a left foot from the right hand side. If you see what I mean, so you have got to not overstate yeah. it. But I thought the first one, the second one, was the quality ball from the right hand side. For me, the first one w- was very Salah in that there was just a sort of an honest directness about it. Like, this is where we find ourselves. If I just put it there, I back one of my teammates to make something happen. And that is that is something that you do see Salah do from time to time when he's in those areas. You do, can I just mention something there? Yeah. There's an article, James Pierce's match report is basically Harvey Elliott in this week. And there's a, there's a line in it about his appearances. He's on 98, I think. And he's basically going to beat Gerrard and Trent to 100 appearances, which given he was out for five months with a broken leg. Yeah is a pretty impressive thing to do. Like, that's... You're sort of forgetting the, the level of what he's done for, for someone so young. So to come in and look like he did, and it was a passable... The two goals to assist were a passable solid impression. I thought, I think the directness thing's a really good point about the the first one. He's basically just gone, if I put the ball there, might might get no goal. Yeah. Like, mm. and, it, and the way they celebrated from where I was, I it's through a crowd of bodies. I couldn't see how it had gone in. And I thought it was an own goal the way they celebrated, but it was almost because they were like, well, you gave more credit to the person who set the goal up than you would yeah. usually expect in that instance. And it was because it was such a good ball. And just like, a, well, if I put it there, we'll be fine. Put it there with this much def- pace how you, on how it. You defend yeah. it? Like, how, how, how do you defend that? The only way you can defend that really is if the keeper gets the ball first and the keeper wasn't getting to that ball first, just because of, just because of how it come. The ball he puts in for the third goal was just great. Now, all right. I say it was great, but at the same time, the, the header made the goal. Like yeah, the, perhaps, head, the header is absolutely breathtakingly good, but the, it doesn't happen without the ball and the, his ability to just go right. I'll just take the ball in there because he knows that he can do this. They watched, they all work together in training, and he knows that if I just put it somewhere vaguely in the direction of him, he'll make this work, and that's exactly what he did. It's it's why with Elliot, Andy. I do feel a little bit frustrated, a little bit sorry for him from time to time, despite the fact that he's on the verge of the 100 appearances, because, you know, I'll, I'll ask all of you, I'll ask you all it now, do you think he'll start at Brentford? No. No chance. No. <laughs> he's not big enough. He's picking a team of Giants. No, no, yeah. And that's for Brentford, but I think in yeah. general, though, I think that he could do with the start beginning to come, because I wouldn't start him at Brentford either, and I think no. he's been really bright at times this season. I, I think he's I, good there. I really think games like Saturday are where you do get the start out of him. I think I, I it's not a criticism on his off-the-ball stuff. No, no, because exactly. he's fine off-the-ball stuff. But I think when... Liverpool have 60, 65% possession, you want them on the yeah, pitch. Yeah, but when definitely. you've got to go into an away game where you might have to sort of suffer for, for and 10, deal 15 with, minutes and, and deal, deal with, with the best set-piece team in the country and apart and from maybe Arsenal. I'm not even just talking about Brentford, to be honest. Yeah. I'm talking about away games in general. I think yeah. 
you, you go back a couple of couple of years and you see him on the team sheet for away games like oh that's all right and then you watch it and it doesn't quite work and that's but this is because he's young and he's still working it out and and it's just not what a 26 year old Harvey Elliott will look like and that's absolutely fine you just gotta you just gotta adapt but then there's away games where he can come on like he comes the, on at Crystal Palace and he basically turns the game around I want to talk about 26 year old uh, Harvey Elliott Andy and the reason why is because now when we watch Bradley and when you watch Kwanzaa this season and even you know for me personally Bobby Clark pre-season I think there was a lot of it around Ben Doak you look at these lads and you look at how old they are and you go Christ this is exciting imagine what they're, yeah. they're going to be like when they're 26 almost because Elliot's been around for four years we've all stopped saying imagine what it's yeah. going to be like when he's 26 because we're sort of acting a bit like he is now yeah. and that to me is one of the things that's so exciting about him that you know Liverpool have got here a footballer who for the next 10 years can play at the very 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 highest level for Liverpool week in week out if called upon for now he can be a really useful squad player but that's his trajectory yeah, I think one thing to, to maybe not get carried away with as well though is I think there's a there's an argument that the twenty six year old Harvey Elliott doesn't get picked for Brentford away. Yeah, yeah. Because I think and it's nothing to do with his age necessarily. Well, no, there's I players think. City wouldn't pick for Brentford away exactly. who, who were in their squad for the precisely this reason. And he could be he could be he, you could play, you know, Wet Wrexham might be in the Premier League when he's twenty six and, and he and he dominates and scores two and sets two up in a four 0 win the week before and then you still go, No, I'm just gonna dip it out and he could be on the trajectory to be one of the best players in the league at that stage. But at Brentford away does just doesn't suit him. And I think he is he, when you said them names, then is he, he's probably younger than a couple of them. He's younger, he's younger than, than Conor yeah. Bradley, and he's he? younger than Conor Bradley. Yeah. And it almost feels like he's five years older than him. Yeah. So it almost feels like he we're judging him as a twenty six year old now. But no, he's he's fantastic. But I think there is an element of his of his his style and his personality that will just potentially be will be a type of player that will play in thirty thirty five starts in a league and you know European. He's like will always be your fourth best midfielder and your fourth best attacker, which still gets you loads of games. Loads like of it games. gets you loads of games in this. But and loads of big moments. Exactly, particularly the way you know next season he'll get he'll get Champions League starts, for example. Yeah, yeah because you get eight group games. I think that the thing is as well, it, it's like <clears throat> he's the sort of player that if he was at, you know, Crystal Palace, for example, and he'd come through over, he'd stayed at Fulham, he'd be starting every week and he'd be their star player and, and he'd be the sort of player who would be touted to, to be sold for 100 million or, you know, 80 million or whatever because he's getting that consistent run of games and that trajectory is maybe a little bit quicker than it is at Liverpool. But for him to, you know, he came in to, to Liverpool when they just won the Champions League. They won the Premier League the following season. So for him to now be, be on track to, to beat Trent record and, and, and Gerard's record of getting 100 games it is really impressive it is indeed Beth we've talked about Endo I just want to talk a little bit about McAllister I think there was a there is a funny thing with Endo to do him first in, in, in the roundabout way to talk about McAllister you get to see Endo really really grow into the game because he becomes so prominent in there. There's little things like the one where he heads it past the lad and then and then accelerates onto the space that he's created for himself really cleverly there's a, f- a few bits like that I thought McAllister's improvement through the game goes a little bit under the radar uh, by the time you sort of get to 75 I suddenly had a moment where I've gone hang on McAllister's running the show here and I'm not quite sure I'm not quite sure when we went from state A to state B but we are now in the state where McAllister's just running the show here and I think that he just took I think one of the I think the sub helped him I think he made a bit more sense in the shape on the left Jones has gone to right back and Elliot's on the right I think him getting onto that left hand side where he can turn and use his body and see the whole pitch and maybe dropped a little bit five ten yards deeper I thought that helped him massively and then he grew and grew 
through. Yeah, I think it's a really sort of curious one, isn't it, with McAllister? Because for months people have been crying out for him to be playing further forward and saying he's not a six and... And, you know, I don't know if he is long term, but then suddenly he plays a little bit further forward at the weekend. And in that first half, you're sort of looking and thinking, well, hang on, he was much better when he was playing a little bit deeper. And I think that the brilliant thing about McAllister is that he's so intelligent. He's such an intelligent footballer. And I think that's why he improved as the game went on, because I think he sort of managed to get a bit more of a read on the situation. And I do think, like you say, that the formation, the 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 switch in the second half was 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 massive and did really help him. But I think he's such a clever footballer that you know once he's had a little bit of time to, to feel out a game, he just automatically switches on and, and like you say was sort of dictating play, wasn't he? By, by the second half, there's something Andy where when we talk about or when the managers talked about six and eight and we're trying to sort of see what's what with a player, the McAllister of Brighton who often played either in a bit of a double pivot with Caicedo, sometimes played a little bit higher, sometimes. But a lot of where he's picking the ball up, home and away, and even though Brighton are and have been a really good side, when he's playing theoretically with another midfielder behind him at Brighton or at the very least adjacent to him, that's sort of where you pick the ball up when you play holding mid for Liverpool. That's yeah. literally, you think about the area of the pitch and then you think about what you what's the next thing you want as a midfielder. You, you want options. Yeah. And if you're if you're the sole holder and you, you're expecting to have 60% of the possession, as, as Phil says, and you're the sole holder, but you're... 10, 15 yards higher than you would be at another team, then you're able to look around and now you've got another option that you would normally have because you haven't got this lad behind you who's not quite an option in the same way. And to me, there's there was a thing, I think, first half where he was sort of struggling with the process of, hang on, I'm, even, I'm, not, I'm not just an eight, I'm like, I'm even higher okay. again than I'm used to being even back when I was playing for Brighton for, for 18 months under the Zerbi. And then I think when he just sort of drops another, as I say, five, 10 yards, can open his body up, he's got Robertson there, he's got Diaz there, he's got Endo to the right of him, he's got Jones if he wants to go and do the big one, he's got the two cents. You just imagine it all of a sudden, just trying in your minds, I picture it, suddenly you've got this range of options right in front of you and he always picks the right one and that's the brilliance of him yeah and I think Klopp's mentioned his, his intelligence a, a few times and he since he, he's bought him and there was that famous clip of the intelligent press you know in training and he shouts Mac it I love it and it went viral he clearly is probably the most intelligent player in the team and I think touching on what you said about what you want is your most intelligent footballer on the pitch to have as many options as he can so I think that's why he's almost Try to engineer this six role out of them because then you've got, you know, if you're playing a traditional two two foot two full back higher than you, you've then got you've only got two centre halves behind you and your keeper, so you've got the maximum. Whereas if you're playing as an eight, even as you said at Brighton, probably more of a ten role, the way we play, you've 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 got a player less and your full backs might be deeper than you, so you've only got four options out of here. And I think the whole trajectory of him playing six for Liverpool has been based on he'll have as many options ahead of him. Um, I think what we might see, well, I think we would have seen it potentially in, in home games where you're going to dominate, would maybe him and Thiago playing as a double pivot to give, give them that little bit of, you know, yeah. a bit of an extra option. But I don't know the, the full latest on him, but I heard on the on the way in that it could be a Thiago, couldn't it? Wasn't Klopp saying it wasn't that bad? On, oh, I, I thought he was saying it wasn't that bad. Said it wasn't that bad. So don't, 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 don't scare people. Anti- no, that was docking on the post-match. Oh, was it? So no, it no. didn't look like they were going to see him play again. Maybe I've... I don't know. Let's not, let's not put too much <laughs> store in what Doc is saying. Listen to Jamie Kenner. If it isn't happening in court, don't listen yeah, to that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's something with. There is that thing about where people pick the ball up, Phil, and what they're used to. The other thing I thought as well, watching it was, it was a little bit. That second half of Endo and McAllister was just a little bit of what I'd like them to have had at Arsenal for a brief period there, where you are able to almost go, right, okay, you're having. The, you're having 
a bit more joy than we'd like. But now there's two of these lads, mm. effectively. And if we wanted to almost have Curtis come a little bit narrower as well, there's almost a, a barrier of three to deal with. And I thought there was just, whether it is Thiago or someone else, I just thought there was just a bit more security there with the, with, with the two of them. But it was also security that was a, a platform to play. Yeah, and it was sort of, I say, just going back to the start of the, the show, it was sort of what Burnley made us need, I think, because it wasn't... I think a lot of the time this McAllister thing works because he's got nine, ten opposition players behind the ball. He didn't really, he didn't really have that from deep line. I feel because we were getting, getting pressed from the side, which I thought was interesting. Short, I thought was interesting because it's just not what you, it was. It was very alien for a, a sort of rele, very relegation threatened side yep. style of play. Um, so that sort of helped that the two of them were in there and they could do exactly what they wanted. The, the switch second half seemed to help both of them. I think they, it took a while for them both to get in the game and it, it was good to see. And it, it's nice that we sort of have options in that midfield in terms of we can do the one and the two, we can do two and the one, we could probably do a three and we could do a three further forward. You could put Trent in there as well. There's, it's nice that after sort of last season, even the season before when we were when we were good, you, you, you think about the back end, the the late running, what? He was picking three twenty-four. Spring twenty-two. It was two of Kaita Henderson, Fabinho, and Thiago. Every game, that was it. And yeah. it was basically the same style. And it wasn't quite. A, it quite often it wasn't Thiago and Kaita. It tended to be one of them, I think, from mm. memory. And it was very sort of same, not identical, but similar in style. Whereas this, it feels like you've got loads of different ways to go. Whether you're bringing in Shabosla, you're bringing in Elliot. There's Gravenberch. There's there's Trent, there's Elliot, there's uh, Jones. Elliot, Enzo, Jones, McAllister. There's loads of different ways round, and I think that's that's the thing that's made the difference in the season in general, I think. The other thing that I think works well, first half, Beth, and then I think continues to work well, uh, but is crowned by the goal, is the Nunez performance. I think he... Liverpool, when they're not playing particularly well, I think that's, again, it's it's a mark of if they didn't get to train, if they didn't get to spend the time to do the planning, the one thing they knew they had was this fellow to run the channels for them, hold it up, win the battles, make it horrible for the opposition defenders. I thought he was great. I really thought he was great. And I was just worried he wasn't going to get the goal. And yeah. then when he did, I was A, relieved, but B, I was delighted. And you could see what it meant to him to have finally got a league goal at Anfield because it's been about two and a half, three months. Yeah, I mean, I just love him. And I think the majority of the fan base are the same. Um, and you know, I would I would certainly be of the mindset that Liverpool are a far better team when he's on the pitch, and whether that that's whether he's scoring or not. Um, but I think th- there's only so many times you can sort of defend your centre forwards and say he was great, but you didn't get a goal. It's and a horrible but. Yeah, and I think sort of we said that in the, in the post match after the Chelsea game. You know, it was sort of the perfect centre forward performance, apart from the fact he doesn't get a goal. Um, so, like you say, I, I was delighted that, especially because he, he has a couple of, of big chances. I mean, he's so unfortunate, isn't he? Sometimes, like th- there is a sometimes it is down to slightly erratic finishing, but there's other other moments where you think. Nine times out of ten, the goalkeeper doesn't save that. A goalkeeper's just slightly to, you know, slightly to the left, and it, it squeezes past him. And it, so you do feel sometimes he's incredibly unfortunate. But yeah, I, I was delighted. And and as Phil said earlier, that header gets better every time you watch it, doesn't it? It was just absolutely majestic the way he jumps and, and directs that into right into the corner. Um, but yeah, I, I was I was delighted for him, and hopefully that's one of those goals that just gives him a little bit of confidence. And you know, I think you've almost felt like he needed one to go in, whether it was like a really scruffy one off. You know, off his knee, or you know, off his off his back, or but for him to, to get a goal of such high quality as well, hopefully that does start a bit of a run for him. It seems to me with him, Beth, that he's he, he will do all of that stuff, and he he's he's so happy to do it. He's happy to be really, really selfless, 
and it's a nice knack that therefore also you know you do really feel as though for him also the act of scoring is is so important I, I go back to the one which Gravenberg eventually puts in when he's on his knees like screaming that he has that that he's forced another one against the post as the, as the ball hits the back of the net you know it's it's unbelievably comic and it gets to me because the ball does hit the back of the net but you do just sort of feel for him that that goals will change him that you know I'm not going to say I don't think I can't quite work out if he's ever going to be I think he's either going to be so streaky the streak goes on for months or you're never really going to be able to describe him as streaky if you sort of know what I mean. It could be that he now doesn't score in the next two, but I don't think it'll feel quite as fraught for him as and when he does. Yeah, I think it is a massive weight off his shoulders, isn't it, when he when he scores? I mean, there was one point, I think it might have been when he was through 1v1 against Trafford and Trafford saves it and there's a, there's a resulting corner and he, he was sort of knelt down on his haunches for a good 20 seconds and you could just see that frustration sort of writ large on his face. He was just, you could tell he was just desperate for a goal. So I was delighted for him. But I think one thing that you can't sort of, you can never knock him for is his work rate. And, and also the fact that, you know he's he's got what twelve goals now this this season, but eleven assists as well. I mean that's very very rare for a player to to sort of have that level of parity in terms of the goals that they score and the goals that they provide as well. And I think there was a stat last week there was no player in in the Premier League that had managed to reach twenty goals and assists combined in, in all competitions. So I think he, he gets a lot of stick because of the chances he miss he misses. But I think Liverpool are a far better team with him in it. I was thinking sort of first twenty twenty five minutes I'm like. I quite like Nunes has some shots here because I think I think there are a few people like talking about the first sort of twenty minutes about at that Chelsea game and it was like oh did he need to have all these shots and I was like well it gets the crowd up and it creates the illusion that you're playing well whether you whether you are or not because you think oh remember that shot we had a couple of minutes ago yeah and the opposition and the scared. opposition and the opposition get deeper and deeper and they they worry like I genuinely think there is a massive correlation between the number of shots he has in games and how well well Liverpool play like. I can't remember a game where he's had loads of shots and I thought, well, Liverpool were bad there. And I can remember plenty of games where I'm like, he didn't have a shot. And Liverpool played quite badly. Like, you think Arsenal, for example, he has one yep. one shot, really. I know he's only on the pitch half an hour, but it wasn't like he was peppering the goal and getting into positions because we couldn't get him into the positions. And the big thing is, if you get him into the positions and he has the shots, they'll just go in at some point. There will be one run he has that's just ridiculous. Like, there's going to be a game of football where he walk out the ground and he scores five goals. Mm. He's not done anything differently to anything he's doing now. The ball just goes in. Like, there's one where there's a cross that comes out. He's dangling. Like, I know he's, I think he's slightly offside. Yeah. And he just goes straight to the goalkeeper. Now, it doesn't take much for that to go either side or the goalkeeper. No, it's literally millimetres. The way the physics works. It's. <laughs> And it's so ridiculous. Like the one with the, the touch for that one on one right at the end. The touch is absolutely brilliant. And that was one pit, one area when the start of last season, it was one area he got massively criticised for was his touch. And we're talking about the assists. This wasn't, I don't think this was the player we were told we were getting, someone who'd be this creative. Like there was one first half where the Trafford makes a fantastic save. I think it was at 1 0. And it's from, I think it's from Diaz. Yeah. Now, the player I thought we were getting would have just had a shot there. But he's got the awareness to go. Hang on, they're in a better position than me. I'm putting that ball. I'm putting that ball across. And Diaz, I think he's very unlucky not to there's, score. I think the save was fantastic. There's, yeah, he is unlucky not to score. There's actually quite an interesting thing. What I think in that first half period, in a really odd way, and I do wonder whether or not post the Chelsea game, people have said, listen, maybe not that many shots. And I do yeah. keep wondering with this, where with not just Nunez, but with a couple of our players, younger players, less experienced players, where we're just still struggling to quite get the dial right. If you see what so, I mean, I think there's a lot of it's about his decision making, though, because I think I, he's, I think he's mature enough to work well, I was about out. To say, the, sorry, go on. I, what I was going to say was, I think there's points in that first half, especially where I think of the front three, he. Is 
is the least selfish, and the others could have. We, I think we'd have gone in two up yeah. if they'd have, if they'd have followed his lead. I think there's a couple of times when Diaz and Jota get themselves into a right mess. There was it's, one where Diaz oh, really should. It was really frustrating. He really should have played him through it. And I and, think he, and I, Nunes point goes to him at one point. He puts his arms out wide because he, he was he was banging if he just played the ball so through. I don't think Diaz had seen the right back was a lot deeper. Yeah. And it looks really bad, and you're like, "Why didn't you do that?" He's just looked at, the, he's just seen the two men. Then he's like, well, "He's about three yards offside. I can't pass to him." And then he goes, yep. "Oh, hang on, oh." <laughs> and again, but it's, he's he's been superb for quite a while now, and I I can't envisage how I would pick a Liverpool team that doesn't have him in it because I think the the drop off is just yeah, drastic, and that's not a no no that's not disparaging to any of the other players who will play. They're all good players. They're just different and aren't giving you what he does and what he gives us is a huge part of, of how we're playing football at the minute. I think the word humility, we applied it to Curtis before, comes in and I'm just looking at his stats there. He, in his last season before he signed for it, he scored 26 and 28 league games for Benfica. So the lad enjoys scoring goals. Let's not kid ourselves. <laughs> it's not like he's happy not scoring. But he's come here and gone, yeah, I'm not probably not the best for, forward. I'm not potentially, probably definitely not the best finisher. And I'm definitely not. I've got Mo Salah, Jota ahead of me. I might have to just adapt my game to, I can play really well, but not score, like, you know, 26 and 28. And and then that comes through the confidence of being able to be, you know, uh, a, a bit more of a team player, create. And then I think what you said, he, there will be a game where he scores five in an away game because he's random ragged. Mm-hmm. And and everything here goes in because it seems like what well, I don't know what his shot conversion rate is, but I'd imagine it's it's pretty low. But it's it's un, un, like unlucky ones, if you know what I mean. Like as you said, it, it, the keeper's just moved and it's hit his leg. There's, or a, there's a definite sort of evolution in how the goals aren't going in now. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like the, but if you got back to the autumn, you were like, what what have you done there? How have you missed yeah, that? Yeah, like yeah, like yeah, the yeah. one against Toulouse, for example. Yeah. There's there's that one. Luton. There's Luton, where. You're looking at it and go. I don't understand how you've missed it. Yeah, he's not. He's not really missing the target now. He's having more hard lines yeah. now, and he's like, he's like well, you, you can look at it and go. Well, I, I don't think you've done anything particularly wrong there. Maybe you could have done slightly better, but it wasn't like you were doing massively wrong. Whereas then you were like, come on, that, you're better than that. Uh, all right, so I want to do very briefly, Beth. I want to just talk about the referee for a second. I prefer to talk about the referee when you've won than when you've lost. I've said it. I've said it. I think I wrote it down. I, I feel like. I feel like if a referee's getting to a point in a game where there's not a bad tackle and he's having to book both both managers before even the 90th minute mark, you know, it's not even a, it was obviously a tight game at that period, but you take me general point. I just feel like something's going wrong somewhere. And if the managers are both in the wrong and the referee's in the right, then I'd ask why are the managers so wound up by the process full stop? Like what are they bringing with them into the game that's making them think What's happening? Here? You know, it just feels to me like there is just a bit of a mini crisis, and it's it ends up with, as I say, with managers getting booked. I think company now can't manage, can't be on the touchline for Burnley's next game, which I'm sure they'd like to have him. I just really feel like there's there's, there's, there's there was a general irritation around the game from both sets of players towards the referee, towards the officiating, from the managers. And I just feel like a lot of these games I watch now, they're sort of fractious towards what these fellas are doing from minute one, and I don't know quite how we change this. 
Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think Jurgen Klopp even came out and said, didn't he? I have no idea why why company got booked. Um, Klopp said, you know, fair enough. I was sort of berating the, the fourth official a little bit, book me, okay. But he said, I don't think he did anything wrong. So for for Jurgen to come out and say that yeah. as well, it sort of speaks volumes. It's, it's a wider problem, isn't it? And I think, you know, it all goes back to the, the stricter directives that they've been given from from Howard Webb and PGMOL at the start of the season and whatever to, to try and assert their authority. And I completely get that. I completely get there's problems with abuse to officials at grassroots level and there's a need to sort of stamp that out but it does feel like overkill and you know in my in my day job sort of writing about women's football did a, a piece last weekend about um about Everton women because their manager was Brian Sorensen was banned from the touchline at the weekend and um, he got a red card the week before and he got the red card in a game where he'd had two really dodgy penalties go against real and, and not just slightly due yeah, yeah. really dodgy penalties um and he got one of his yellow cards that he got was for, for telling the fourth official they put the wrong sub up on the board and you just sort of think that, that, that <laughs> and they had and they had yeah <laughs> And so he misses he misses the game. Um, coincidentally, the same weekend that Sean Dyche isn't on the touchline for yeah. Everton again, who were on the receiving end of some pretty dodgy calls last week against Tottenham. Um, and I thought what Dyche said actually last week in his press conference was really really good. He basically just sort of said they need to show a little bit of compassion. You know, managers are entitled, players are entitled to feel aggrieved when decisions go against them. And of course, there's there's limits to the way that they should express yep. that frustration. Mm-hmm. You know, it shouldn't be it shouldn't be abusive. It shouldn't be aggressive. But it sort of feels like now, any time a player sort of raises any kind of argument, they go into the book for it. And, and like you say, I don't know the way of fixing it. I just think it needs they need to show a little bit more common sense and a bit more compassion. Either you, I really think. One of the problems they're having, and I think your spot was your point was spot on about that they're trying to show authority for grassroots. So you know, if this if a manager does, I think it's actually having the negative, the opposite effect. I think they're becoming that much of a laughing stock. Grassroots behaviour is becoming worse. Obviously, I'm involved in it because the, they're getting so much abuse on social media and, and on the telly, and they're seeing this laughing stock of a manager and. That's them filtering down to grassroots where they, all refs are seen as a bit of a joke now. Yeah. Whereas if they had a bit more humility, a bit more, you know, come here, let's, you, know, don't, you know, don't speak to me like that. I'm not going to book you this one, but don't... It was clearly offside or whatever. That then filters down to where you can have a conversation. But I think what's happening at the top is now becoming divisive at the bottom, whereas they've obviously tried to have the opposite effect, but it's definitely not because reffing and abuse to refs and, you know, the the... the, the, the Opinion of referees at grassroots levels is as bad as it's ever been. He books Nunez coming on to you in a minute, Phil. He books Nunez. One of the things that strikes me every now and again, I'll see, and this is the thing I've always thought about the gesture of yellow card thing. We've got a bit of a cultural thing in this country about the gesture of yellow card, but a lot of these lads kick the ball away as well. But Nunez, no, Nunez did a little, yeah, yeah no, but, but my point, my, Sorry, point was, yeah. my point was going to be on the sort of, you know, try to find a way to, to, to say, come on a little bit is because a lot of these lads they're in the second language or even third language yeah, yeah. so at times if there's a gesture or something like that I do feel a little bit like there's there's no obvious other way to, to do the frustration Nunez is throwing his arms up I, I you know and, and the same with the, the managers to, to a degree that idea of come on I, I, I think that's disappeared I think the idea of someone going over and going listen both on the descent point but also at times on a certain type of tackle going over and going listen 
today's not the day for that. You need to, etc., etc. To me, Andy, I think that's the bit that's become the disconnect. That sort of I've heard what you've said, mm. and to be honest with you, I might be, you know, almost like I might watch the tape back, and you could be right, yeah, but yeah. for Christ's sake, it's a throw in. And and I think that that little bit of you know, I'm I'm not saying about referees running around the pitch laughing and joking with players all the time. Cause I'm sure if it, if you know if I'm watching Liverpool Man United, I mean I remember watching Paul Scholes referee Liverpool Man yeah. United games. And you feel like Paul Scholes is referee in this game. I wish I'm not asking for that all the time, but I just feel every now and again to that point, whether it's compassion, whether it's humility, whatever the word is, just a little bit of going, come on, we're just trying to all get through a game here. And in the end, I felt like the players looked after Liverpool Burnley more than the referee did, and that's a really odd place to end up with a football match. But genuinely, I thought the players are sorting this out now on their own pretty much. Yeah, I think the I think the second language thing's big because if you you know, and it's not it, it probably seems like years ago, but Carragher even Henderson at a point in his Liverpool career was was constantly at, is, that, is that not a yellow card? What's different to that than a, a lad from Uruguay putting mm. a, an imagined yellow card? There's no difference. Yeah. But he just can't articulate as well as a Henderson or a Carragher or a I'm sure they all do it, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Captain Declan Rice probably still does it. Because we all know, I don't think there's anything wrong with asking a ref, is that not a yellow card? Mm. If there's been a bad tackle, or ref, is that not a yellow card? You've booked one of our lads half yep. an hour. Like it the, shouldn't be an automatic yellow for asking, should he not be booked for that? I, I, I don't like get the, this. The classic one of these was when Tony Hibbert fouls Gerrard at Goodison in about, what, 2007? And he goes to book him. Now, now it wouldn't be a red card. Although it might be because he doesn't try to go over the ball. And it's outside the box. No. No, it's not. It's a pen. It's a pen. It's a pen. And he goes to book him, and it just was the completely like it was wrong. And now there's this, there's this narrative that Steven Gerrard bullied Mark Clattenberg into giving um, that red card, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it was a red like it was just yeah, yeah. if it's a penalty, it's a red card. Like it wasn't a remotely debatable thing. And I've completely lost my train of thought. No, Karen, you, Gerard, you see Gerrard saying as well. Yeah, 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 it's got to be a red. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's got to be and a red. He's right. And, he's yeah. right. and, and what, what what's the problem with that? No. If the referee's going to make the wrong decision, what there's nothing sort of wrong with that way. But then you see stuff like where they just do mad stuff. Like about thirty seconds in, gives a free kick against Jota. Oh, the for, line was for, made up. For what? I'm not quite sure. Got to wave his it flag. Just, it just looked like a good tackle. He, did you get on to him? He spent 90 minutes playing with his hair, by the way. Oh, God, Loved that it. Oh, that part. That part yeah. of his head. Did I get on to him, Phil? Remember you're dealing with? <laughs> That's a fair point. I was slaughtering you lot for not being on him enough, <laughs> Phil, to be honest with you. You're he fucking, was, he you're, was you're getting ten rows people were on his back. People, were they? Yeah, were they? Okay. Were, yeah. I didn't check with you at half time. stuff about his hair. Good, good, good. No, as long as long as as long as he was told. What was the hair? Oh, it was like he looked gorgeous part off. Oh, I mean, it was more jealousy from my part, you know what I mean? I reckon his warm up, he didn't do a warm up, he was in there doing his hair. Yeah. But, like, but then, the, 10 yards away from him, a centre back has got two hands around Darwin Nunes's waist, dragging him down, and that's and he doesn't give that. And it's just a bit like, right, if you want to give fouls, give fouls, but yeah. you can't just pick and choose what ones you are. And Jota was on, Jota was on their centre half, he was on the yeah. liner, and then, and this is what I mean about the game gets fractious. Yeah. So from that point, Jota's now, what the fuck's this? Yeah. And you're why like, is that it's that? And why is 30 that? seconds and it's, in. I don't like comparing. No. decisions because I think quite often it's lazy and there's nothing more I hate than well this game had this and this game six months ago had this and it's pointless but in the same in the same game it in should the same be five a minute le- in the same five minute period there should be a level of consistency that's easy to achieve and you just get doing mad stuff the maddest one was the throwing he gave them where Klopp ends up on his knees <laughs> where Harvey Elliott kicks the ball at someone it loops up into about row eight. like Harvey Elliott literally couldn't have got the ball to travel that way in the way he kicked it the la- it's gone. Yeah. It's basically in like the middle of a triangle between the fourth official, the referee, and the lines. But I know the fourth official's not there to referee the game. But if he sees something blatantly wrong, I think he's probably supposed to go, lads, that's completely wrong. And he gives them a throw in. It's 
and you sp- and you see stuff like that, and you just lose any sort of confidence and faith in them to get big things right because if they can't do something that simplistic it just becomes very annoying and creates a situation where they have no control in it in a bit if that was a bigger game that would have ended up with people kicking each other to pieces because he, he just didn't really manage yeah. the game very well no he didn't manage it at all well and as i say it was just a, this general irritation it has got to stop very very quick uh beth it's a weekend where sense reasserts itself across the board if chelsea win tonight uh, i've done this on bacon butty with craig and more de- depth but if chelsea win tonight then all the classic big six will have won in the weekend plus newcastle um those who have been springing surprises have found the surprises sprung uh villa suddenly look very very vulnerable at home indeed it just looks to me as though there's always one weekend every single season where it feels a bit like and you know i don't mean to go all very cartel on this but the empire strikes back and that tends to set the new agenda for the rest of the campaign um i sort of feel like this weekend might have been this one uh last minute tottenham winners so on and so forth yeah definitely i think like you say the manner of of, of the wins as well like you say tottenham coming from behind united obviously score late on um and it, it just sort of feels like again without being offensive to the other 14 uh the natural order is almost restored and i think thing with, with united and i feel like they do this every season they have like the most torrid run of form and then somehow end up like two points outside the top four and you think how on earth have you have you managed to close that gap and i just think this is where sort of having deeper squads, having the experience, having the nous. If you've had an injury crisis to begin to come back and yeah, get available it, around now, there's a few more breaks in January, so on and so yeah, forth. Yeah, well, I think United have looked a lot better since they've had um, Casemiro back and Luke, Luke, Luke Shaw went off yesterday, didn't he? Was oh, he, did he? Yeah, he went he off did, at that time, yeah. I think. Yeah. I don't know if that was an in, injury. You know, oh, I remember I read about that. Like, he did just say precaution. Yeah. Right. Uh, but they've looked so much better with, with them and that's that's no coincidence. So I do think it is that time of the season, like you say, getting towards the run-in where it, it feels like sort of the, these teams that have that experience are starting to show it yeah they, the better teams win football matches the majority of time is only and we can talk down the likes of United they are probably a better team than Villa I think Villa have been impressive this season but I think what you've seen the last sort of six weeks is a is a bit of I talked about this in the Friday show I think in terms of they've had a little bit of a low-key drop-off that has gone. I think it's gone a little bit under the radar I think in terms of they covered like, a lot of ground. Yeah. The, the 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 big ten for Villa have played a lot of. Like yes. I think I think yeah. there's only yeah. one player who's played one Liverpool player who's played more minutes than Villa's big uh, top ten. Yeah, and that's Virgil Van Dijk. Yeah. Uh, and then number two is Allison, and Allison's just about even by, in Villa's list. Yeah. Allison to be about eleventh or twelfth. There's a lot of put it on our uh, level of group. It was just dead interesting. Yeah, I'm I'm intrigued by how they manage the the going for this top four with the Conference League because I think winning the Conference League would be would be huge for them. You look at how much fun West Ham had last year, that's same with Villa. They've both probably had a couple of relegations since the well, one relegation since they last won a yep. trophy. West Ham had a few. I mean, they've been up and down quite a lot. But it, it it's a sort of thing. It gets them back it would get them into the UEFA Cup next the Europa League next season again. And it would give them a real thing where they're like, oh hang on. It give everyone a, a good time. But at the same time they're looking at that fifth place going, there's a chance here, you know. Mm. So I'm I'm really interested to how they manage it and I really hope for their sake that they don't manage to just get both think, wrong. But the flip side of it, Phil, is that I really think, I know it's only one fiction now, but I really think getting knocked out of the FA Cup was no bad thing yes, for them ex- in the yes, grand scheme exactly of things. Right. They, yeah, could, yeah. they could, could, didn't need that as well. Just very, very quick. Especially when it was probably a game they would have won as well because it was... Um, I think it was a home. Was it home game against Leeds? Yes, it is. Yeah, home against Leeds. Uh, so Chelsea Leeds will be interesting. Yeah. Uh, all the best to the authorities. Um, Andy, there is um, just dead quick. They've got a week before Brentford. We've been talking about that. It's now also another one of his weeks where he get he gets the week to get people back, yeah. and I think he'll be thinking about that as well. And hopefully, he gets a real opportunity to work with them for this week because it's his last week. It's his last chance. 
before the end of the season, really. His last his last full week would likely to be, be yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I think I think it's all key to to who comes back. So. Are the, when Salah back is he after well he said that it could be the week after but he said I will think it's Monday in his press conference on Friday so there we go he was in the, he was in the gym at Kirby yesterday wasn't he yep mm, I saw he, him yeah. on his Instagram he loves putting up what he's, what he's up to yeah. on Instagram when he's little, injured his little skin tight yeah. his skin just tight top look at me I am motivated but also I am dead fit yeah. and it's almost as much to the manager like he's probably he probably put that in the group for the boys <laughs> if you know he's, what I mean he's in his home gym at like 9 o'clock at night after he's done a day in training yeah. 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 he's just straight in the manager just well, straight in the manager. All right, lads. How are we? What are we up to Monday? I'll be in first thing. That sort of thing. Just done a tricep workout there, Jürgen. Look at them bad boys. Uh, <laughs> Is that you or it? No, well, yeah. I haven't got his number. Your mate hasn't got his number. Has he? <laughs> uh, no, I think it's all just based on on, on availability now. Suppose like must be close to we coming back, and then I think Gomez. Uh, obviously, don't know what's going on with the Paul Bradley, but I think he'll be back in the mix. I would imagine by the end of by the weekend, and it's just a case of. You know, making the most because we've seen a difference he can have to a team over the years when he has a full week with them, getting them motivated and getting them, you know, any little tactical twitches that he wants to do. Excellent, been brilliant. Thank you very much to Beth, to Phil, and to Andy. Do come to the tours, uh, apart from Washington, as discussed. Uh, if you want to make it, New York, Boston, uh, Toronto, Detroit, Wilmington, twentieth uh, to the twenty fourth. Really looking forward to getting out there, doing all of this, talking about Jurgen, but also talking about a team that can win the football league. Because as the empire does strike back, Liverpool remain one of the three teams that can win the football league. Sports Social Podcast Network.